0: to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with fellow Regional Master Instructor, Ms. Wendy Matz. Wendy, how's everything going today?
1: Uh, So good, Marty. How are you?
0: Excited to be here as always and, you know, a topic that I think everybody can relate to on this one for this week for sure.
1: Yes, especially when you look at the percentage, you know, about 80 to 85 percent of the population at some point in time is going to have some low back issues and so one thing that you're going to see throughout all of our content and our textbook is people with a low back arch. And so this is what today we're talking about. We're going to talk about what causes it, what muscles you can work on to help hopefully get someone out of discomfort and move better. And so I'm excited about this one.
0: Absolutely. So I'll jump right in here and kind of again highlight the key bullet points of what this week's going to look like. So Obviously, we need to talk about the compensation self, what it looks like. I think pretty much everybody can identify that. Identify the dysfunction via the assessments, because I'm sure in our recap, we'll talk about the importance of assessments. As we have both said, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Then obviously, we okay identified it. We know how to assess for it. What do we do? Well, that's what the specific programs are for. And then we'll talk about how to reassess.
1: And I think it's important. I mean, we always talk about, you know, if you're not assessing, you're guessing as you say, but you know, and we have talked about this and we we touch on it all the time, but I cannot emphasize how important it is when you're going through your programming to actually set an appointment or a session date to remind your client like, "Hey, we're just going to do a quick assessment. We're going to, you know, reevaluate you from starting point to where you are now just to make sure that we're seeing progress." And then that allows me to maybe change up your programming. And so that's the whole purpose. Because if you notice that there's been zero change or it's still kind of minimal, then we need to look at the program itself, or you need to look at the accountability of your client as well, because, you know, obviously if they can foam roll and do some stretches and maybe some of the exercises that don't require any, you know, specific training or equipment, they can do some of this stuff at home. And if you notice that they start moving like incredibly well, and it hasn't even been four weeks, then their body has adapted quicker than that. But on average, it's about four to six weeks where you start to see the changes. And then you can go ahead and progress them up the model. And I think that's really, really important to to schedule in the reassessment, let them know from day one that you're gonna do periodic reassessments, even though every single session should be an assessment, how they're walking in, how they're feeling and all that stuff as well.
0: No, I agree totally. And the other thing too, on the other side of that is, Maybe you put together the right programming and maybe they're doing some of it, but they haven't possibly changed what, um, patterning in their everyday life that's creating that. Maybe they sit at a desk for eight to 12 hours a day with a 45 minute commute. And then they tend to just come home and sit right away, even though they might stretch once or twice, it's, can you do something else to disrupt that patterning? So, you know, for example, I have a stand-up desk. I try to walk throughout the day. Sometimes just that extra little bit goes a long way.
1: Marty, you're my hero. I said as much as I can. I'm, just kidding.
0: I'm sitting right now only because of the camera angle and then you'll see me getting antsy, but
1: I love it. I love it. All right. Well, let's actually dig into the content a little bit more. So of course, when we're talking about assessments, we're usually going to start with the overhead squat, overhead squat assessment. And the reason we do that, A, it's because it's the most common and can tell you a ton of information. And I can honestly say that most people will be able to do an overhead squat. And so there are some different, you know, um, times where that's not the case. Maybe somebody is, you know, was asked not to squat for some reason, or they're just coming out of surgery, but, you know, that's why you want to look throughout your textbook and look for different types of assessments that you can do that is going to give you the information that you need, but. The overhead squat, again, just making sure when you're looking at this, we're really assessing dynamic posture, their core stability, neuromuscular control. And just as a definition, of neuromuscular control, we're looking for can they move and the, with the right muscles at the right time in the right plane of motion. So really neuromuscular efficiency. And this is appropriate for all levels. Again, even if someone's sedentary, you know, in the book, we're saying if they can do about five to ten um, uh, you know, squats, usually it's five per view. Um, then you're going to get the information that you need. But if someone is really struggling to do a squat, then maybe just have them do a few, just get the information that you need and then say, okay, that's great. And now I'm going to have you turn to the side, or you can do what Marty and I both do. We actually walk around, um, the client, look at them from a lateral view and then a posterior view. So therefore they just continue the squat. If they can, we get the information. And then we call it a day, but no matter what, just remind the client, this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to remove your shoes and then demo it because remember people learn all different ways. And so you can tell someone to squat, but they may not know how to squat. So it's important to do the show tell do and put them in the correct starting position. So feet pointed straight ahead, the foot and ankle complex is in a neutral position. So the second and third toes should be in line with the knees, neutral hips, arms, without bent elbows raised above their, their head, if possible, and it's pain-free. And then at that point, that's when you would begin the assessment. And it's so important to start there because if they go ahead and they start with their feet out or they have a huge arch in their back, because that's just how they stand, but it may not be true to how they move when it's something structured, you have no idea when they start to deviate or if they start to deviate. So setting up is key in order to get the best results.
0: You went through it perfectly. Couldn't have said it better myself. So for those of you that are just joining, Wendy Bass and I are talking about low back arch and the common uh, compensations that you're going to see and the impairments. And we're going to do a little program design. We'll talk about that as well. So thanks for joining. And the key thing, as we've always talked about, is you have to start with your assessments. So Wendy just went through the rules of the overhead squat assessment. And the key thing, Wendy, I know the one thing that really gets you is when they don't take their shoes off.
1: Oh, my goodness. And guys, the reason you need to take off your shoes is because you want to see what's happening at the foot and ankle complex. And there are so many cute pairs of shoes out there that give you a little bit of a heel, which then will put you in a, in a um, you know, planar flex, flex position, which gives you a little bit extra. And so the thing is, is when you take those shoes off and they were in like a small heel, their feet will externally rotate if your calves, especially your lateral calf, is overactive. Plus, if they have weak arches, some of those tennis shoes have arch support. So we want to see what's truly happening to get the best results, to design the best program. So, yes, please take off your shoes.
0: If you want to see smoke come out of Wendy's ears, do an assessment in Uh, front of her and keep the shoes on.
1: Yes. And be careful to take one of my true classes at the university because I'll get you for that.
0: That goes for me too, but I just like to get her wound up a little bit. <laughs> so, as we talk about the overhead squat, obviously we know there's more uh, assessments and we are uh, in other master structure roundtables we've really taken a deep dive into those. So again, we're going to kind of highlight the bigger things here today. So Wendy went through the overhead squat assessment, but you'll see here on our next slide that you can also look at our corrective exercise specialist flow. So start with the overhead squat just like Wendy said, obviously there's also the client intake. We're kind of skipping past that. Wendy did mention that you'll watch people walk in and you can just check things out from a static posture. But then we can get into more advanced assessments like a single leg squat or a split squat assessment. This is some of the newer content that we've added in the corrective exercise with the split squat. Then you've got dynamic assessments or loaded assessments if you want. Then one of uh, both Wendy and my favorites is the mobility assessments. So if you see somebody that falls into a certain patterning. You may not know, is it primarily because of overactive muscles? Is it primarily because of underactive muscles or a little bit of both? So this is where in the newer corrective exercise specialist, they add in mobility assessments. Wendy and I both have been trained with goniometers. So we can take it. Is as a, uh, Wendy will say, the human protractor and look at very specific degrees, one side versus the other side of the body. But from a ease of use standpoint, a mobility assessment You're just having somebody move into a position. If they pass it, then it could be a strengthening issue. If they fail it, it could be more of a tightness and overactivity in the um, muscles that are causing that motion. And then from there, you can go right into your corrective exercise, and then you'll know more specifically what to inhibit, what to lengthen, what to activate, and what to integrate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know we're going to break it up and kind of go through all of them, and so I guess we can do that now. I mean, again, we did talk a little bit about the overhead squat um, but if we look at the next slide, you know, you're also going to see even on the one that we just went over that doing a modified overhead squat, you know, sometimes people take this for granted and they're like, really, do you get that much information? And the answer to me is yes, I do it all the time. And, you know, you're using, you know, about a one, one and a half to two inch, um, you know, kind of, you know, two by four, if you will, or something that's just elevating your heels. And so your feet stay flat, you elevate your heels, and then you put your client into the same overhead squat positioning with the hands raised above their head in a neutral position and the five kinetic chain checkpoints and then you have them squat. And if you noticed in the overhead squat without the lift that their feet went out, the knees went in and they had a low back arch which is what we're really talking about and their arms also fell forward then doing the modified will also give you a little more information. So if you put your heels on top and you notice that the feet start to, you know, go straighter, their knees stay in line, and you know, that maybe it cleans up a little bit at the hips, then, you know, or maybe it doesn't, then you know that the primary issue is at the foot and ankle complex. If you notice that it like, you know, that yes, the lower body was fine, but the hip complex and the arm still fell forward, then you know that, mm, okay, you know what? It's, it, it is the foot and ankle, but we still have issues at the hip as well. But then if I if I go ahead and take the client off of um, or put the hands on their hips and then do the same thing and I you know don't even have them use the two by four, but put them flat on the ground. And I notice that the low back arch goes away or it's not as as um, visible, if you will then it's really more of the lats. And so you kind of are starting to put the puzzle together. And again, we're not even talking about mobility first. This is just with with dynamic movement patterns or movement itself. So, So keep that in mind that, you know, if you don't know how to do the mobility assessments, that's fine. It's just obviously the more education you get and the more that you can kind of, you know, continue to be the detective to find out, again, is it overactivity, underactivity, or a little bit of both? Then it's just going to be more of a spe- specialized and specific program versus, okay, I saw this. I didn't see this. The solutions table is telling me to do that. That's better than nothing, but it may still be a little bit more general unless you do the mobility assessments as well.
0: Yeah, and Wendy and I will both um, always give people advice when they go through their CPT. What's next? We're always huge fans of the corrective exercise specialists as one of the next because Everybody's going to have some slight levels of movement dysfunction and or significant and really being able to take your skill set to another level and identify the root cause of it and be able to have, you know, fun, engaging, targeted warmups because everyone's going to need it. It doesn't, it's not like a rehab type of program, but it's just very specific in the targeting of how you're trying to change that person's movement patterning. So I, you know, we both will always say CES. And then from there, there's obviously a lot of other courses, but this is really taking that anatomy and assessment process to the next level.
1: Absolutely. Huge fan. But then that kind of brings us into the next one. So if you have taken our corrective exercise or you're on the fence, then you're going to see, even, even in our textbook that we have for CPT, we talk a lot about the single leg squat assessment, but in the new CES, we also say, Hey, some people can't do the single leg squat. Because you know what, they don't have the balance or they feel really uncomfortable, or maybe you feel uncomfortable because you're not sure, can they do a single leg squat safely? Then you can have them go into a split squat, which is basically just doing a sagittal lunge and then having them go and do up and down movements. And you're really focusing on the front leg. But when you set someone up in the single leg squat, again, think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. Make sure that, you know, at this point, we're not really doing, you know, I say, just look at them from an anterior view and a lateral view, because you can still learn a lot because often somebody's foot may stay straight that maybe it went out on the overhead squat, but their knee is, is really caving in. Um, you're going to also see maybe some, some rounding of the low back. And then also you might also see their, their torso kind of shift into the leg to kind of help with the balance situation. And all of that information is very, very good for you. Um, And if it's completely different than what you saw on two legs and in the overhead squat, you're going to look at the single leg squat assessment results in the lower body. And you're going to use that because it's going to be a little more specific than when they were on two legs.
0: Yeah, we've always said for anyone that can do a single leg squat, if you only could do one assessment, it would be the single leg squat because that's how we move through real life, walking, running, jumping, you know, anything that we're trying to do uh, to move. So it's a real of, of uber importance to be able to um, assess this. So, you know, even if it's, you know, someone's holding on to something slightly or whatever the case may be, but, you know, it's really key to see what happens on that single leg. And it, it's kind of shocking how many different movement patterns, like what they do with their torso and, you know, their stance leg versus their non-stance leg to try to accommodate that movement. But then if they can't do that, a lot of times, Wendy, we see people like still program single leg squats or lunges and you know dynamic exercises but they can't even control themselves on a single leg so this is a a a great test to see at what level your client is before you start getting into some more dynamic type of single leg exercises
1: yeah and it's also important to note too because i i am seeing this more and more when people are doing the single leg squat the floating leg guys needs to stay beside the leg the test leg like meaning that you want it to hover around the ankle of the foot that's planted on the ground Because if that foot shifts forward, then they go into more of a a pistol squat and they will have to round their back for balance. And then um, so try to make sure that you keep your hips as level as you can or you teach them how to keep their hips level to start. Keep that foot right beside. Plus, on a safety standpoint, if they need to tap down, you know, that foot that's floating is right there. And as you said, Marty, on a programming side. If they can't do this assessment, then it's going to be even more important for them to have more balanced type work, especially in phase one, which is on unstable services. This is going to only help them like for their activities of daily living, because as you mentioned, we spend more time on one foot than the other. So. And if you guys are just joining Marty Miller and I on the master instructor Roundtable this week, we're really talking a lot about the low back arch. We've gone into some, some tangents on the importance of the assessments and proper setup, because again, if we have the proper setup and we get the right information, when we go and look at the solutions table, it's only going to help us when we actually start to design the programs. So, so far we've talked about the importance of the overhead squat, the modified squat with either heels elevated or hands on the hips. We talked about the single leg and split squat assessment. So Marty, why don't you take us into a little bit of the mobility?
0: Absolutely, it would be my pleasure. So as we go forward here, these are some of the key things that we added into the newer version of CES. And the reason was, again, we're always trying to refresh content. We're always trying to take great assessments when we're looking at this part of the content and make it simpler to perform and simpler to understand the results. So if you know how to do the goniometer, absolutely do the goniometer. But if that is something you have not been trained on, you can look at this as a pass fail. And as Wendy would say, a big fat fail if you don't pass. <clears throat> if, if you've been watching us, you know exactly what I mean when I say that.
1: Big fat fail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So when you look at the one on the left, so the top and bottom, left side, she is going through knee extension, which is going to test the mobility of the short head of the bicep from, from Morris. Hamstring complex, but, you know, truly a lot of the short head bicep from Morris, And this is a muscle that will cause the feet to turn out and some other movement compensations. So you'll see that she starts just by tucking her leg into 90 degrees, the 90, 90 position. And all she's gonna do is extend her leg until she feels the first point of resistance or in a lot of people where they just feel like they have to stop or there'll be a compensation. And we teach all that. So don't worry about all that right now, but some people will try to compensate and, and cheat through to get more range, which you'll see that her leg is not fully extended. So that would be the big fat foul. We want, it's either fully extended or it's not. We don't care the difference because, you know, if someone only has a 10% versus a 15%, we're still going to address it because it's likely to get worse. So that's one way to do a very quick pass foul. And Marty, and
1: then, um, talk about the other leg too, because again, you know, they may be able to straighten their leg, but what are they doing at the other side? Because I think that's one thing that I'm starting to see more and more of is like, look, I can straighten my, my leg, but yeah. the other side, not so much.
0: Yeah. So we go into a lot of depth in this, in this, in the CES course, because you have to look at the entire body because there'll be compensations for every mobility assessment we have somewhere else. The body will always search for the path of least resistance, whether the person knows it or not, they want to, you know, go through and, you know, do what you're asking them to do. So on the opposite leg, so on this side, it would be her left leg. You may see her start to have her opposite knee bend slightly, her opposite leg kick out slightly, or her pelvis start to rotate anteriorly a little bit, or combination of those. Because if she tries to get that knee extension and she doesn't have it, the body's going to shift around to try to accomplish that task. And you'll see the same thing with our shoulder flexion on, on the right side of the screen here. You know, can the individual get their arm straight, With the natural carrying angle of the arm of course because our arms do go a little wider you just can't see that in the picture but can she naturally get her arms to fall back and touch the table without her low back arching without her rib cage elevating without her head moving forward without her scapula moving so very simple to do takes three to five seconds to accomplish this but you get a ton of great information if they fail then you know there's a restriction in the muscle So you're really going to focus on the inhibit and lengthen portion if they pass, but you still saw the corresponding movement compensation in the overhead squat, then it could be the activation and integration that you need to spend more time on.
1: Well done. And I think, you know, again, when you see what we call kind of like the breadcrumbs, these are the mobility assessments that we strongly suggest if you saw a low back arch that you should do if you feel comfortable doing the movement assessments, because as Marty just mentioned, I mean, it's going to say specifically, you need to spend more time rolling and and strengthen or lengthening, or, you know what, because the range of motion was actually pretty good in shoulder flexion, maybe it's not a lat thing, maybe it's a weakness. And so therefore, you know, you're going to know on a programming side that, you know, there's other areas to focus on. And so when we start looking at the over and under active muscles, to keep the mobility pass fail in mind because you're going to take those muscles and they to really focus on the strengthening or really f- focus on the lengthening part.
0: Right. And then again, some people will need both, which is fine. Doesn't never, make it bad. Never hurts to do both. <laughs> no, exactly. So Wendy, I know you absolutely love the goniometer, so I would never steal this from you.
1: I'm telling you, you know, I mean, again, if you feel comfortable with us and I've actually gotten a few emails like, you know, well, how do I learn more about goniometers and using these? I mean, NASM does have a, um, a continuing education course on there. Um, We've done some videos uh, that you can find, and there's some great blogs of people that are talking a little bit about goniometer measurements so if you want to become, you know, um, you know, r- or really want to hone in on those skills, I would tell you to start there because, um, a lot of this information was in our older textbook and that's why Marty and I are really comfortable with it. We've been using a goniometer since probably the early, early two thousands, if not before in school.
0: Before. Um,
1: I know. Right. So it was trying to make us not feel quite so old, Marty. Um, you, but you know,
0: that I was only talking about me. You did not have to jump in. <laughs>
1: But us, easily you know, said,
0: you know, Marty, you're older, but you know.
1: Yeah, I'm because sure. I mean, you want to think of what's ideal. So when we're talking about like hip internal and external rotation, you want to be about 45 degrees. You see right here, someone going into hip abduction and you're putting, you know, like um, one arm on the ASIS bones and then you're tracking it to see without compensation of the non-moving leg, can they get to approximately 45 degrees there? Um, The middle picture again, it's shoulder flexion. So as Marty said in the mobility assessments, if you can move into perfect um, arm overhead without compensation, meaning bend of the elbow or low back arch, then you're looking for like if the scapula doesn't move about 160 degrees, if you do have a little bit of movement, 180 degrees. Um, but it's mainly, like I said, that shoulder flexion is two seconds to do just visually. And it's going to let, you know, without having to make sure your Goni is in a perfect position. If you're not really quick with it, clients don't want to be there all day while you're trying to figure out what number you're reading. So that's why I love, love, love the new mobility.
0: And then of course
1: the, the, the Thomas test here, the you know, this is one of the exercises that I use with my clients when I'm doing more assisted stretching, because I love this stretch to really focus in on the quads and the the hip flexors. But, you know, ideally when you're looking at hip extension, you know, can someone, you know, do they have approximately zero to negative 10 degrees of hip extension? And, you know, again, this is allowing me to get very accurate reads, but if someone didn't have a Goni and you put them in the mobility assessment, you set them up just like this. And if their knee um is not at a perfect 90 degree angle like you can see this then you know it's probably overactivity in the hamstrings. I mean I'm sorry in the quads. And then um yeah, call me out Marty. In the quads. And then if the, give you
0: a second. I was going to give you a second.
1: And if the um and if the hips don't really move into anything or or you can't even get it level to the to the actual table, then you know that there's a significant overactivity in the hip flexor. So I love this as a stretch. I love this as an assessment. I love this when you're using a goni because it tells you so or goniometer. But I call it a goni because, you know, I I got slang now. Um, But, you know, it just totally, totally lets you get so much good information from this alone. Um, But it's also important to note when you're doing this, the top of the tailbone should be what's supported on the table and the rest should be able to hang off. Because I noticed in some of our pictures or maybe in some of the videos, it looks like there's that hamstrings protected a little bit more. Just be sure to scoot your client a little more forward and you're going to get a very accurate rate.
0: And the one thing I would say, and I I can speak for you on this Wendy. you know, people come to us for corrective exercise. That doesn't mean we don't do some other forms of personal training and the high intensity stuff. But, you know, we've been known um, in our practices to do just corrective with some cases or a lot of our clients. So. The one thing I could say though, the advantage of the goniometer is what I call test retest. I can assess somebody, I can measure, I can have a very targeted corrective exercise program, remeasure. They may not pass yet, but I might have picked up 20% of range of motion. And now that tells me I'm on the right track. And it also tells the client, yeah, I can start to feel it move. And you can say, yeah, you just improved by 20%. We still have 10% to go, or whatever the case may be. So, just depending on how you implement things into your practice, I love having both because, again, if I need it quick and easy, I've got the mobility. If I need it to really get specific, I can use the goniometer.
1: And it's a great way to sell your sessions because if you do like if you're looking at something before, you go through inhibit. So foam rolling, stretching, you do some active um, activation work and then you do your actual phase one or whatever workout if there were compensations and then you remeasure them and they got better. Just in that one session alone, it just shows that you are on the right track. And then they also are bought in immediately because in one session, you can make a significant difference.
0: Absolutely. Test and retest.
1: All right. Cool. So again, with all of these assessments, um, well, those of you guys that are joining Marty Miller on, and I on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about compensations of the low back arch. And we are gonna show you a, um, you know, basically a program that Marty and I put together for someone that does have this very, very common compensation, but really, really important. If you're really new to anatomy, you're not really sure about origin insertion, you don't have to know that. Just look in your textbook, pull out the solutions table, and under low back arch, it will say overactive muscles, which in this case would be your hip flexor um, complex, the erector spinae, and of course the
0: lats. So the good news is all the answers are there. So that way, if you really use the solutions table and everything NASM gives you, you will get better in your programming design because they're giving you the answers. And then from there, as we've done in other master stretch roundtables, we'll give you different versions. We'll give you different ways to attack the same thing for each phase of training, whether it's different types of stretches, different types of activation techniques. But you have to start with the right movement patterns that need to be either inhibited, lengthened, activated, and integrated, Or what you're doing at that point is you're just exercising someone and maybe feeding into and making their compensation even stronger. So that is key. So we'll move on here to the next slide. Now that Wendy's done a great job of talking about what's overactive. So that's what's causing the common compensations that we're seeing. So we're talking again here about the low back arch. But on the flip side, what's allowing it? So here again, the solution table will answer that for you. So in the low back arch, the underactive muscles or the muscles that need to be kind of, you know, excited a little bit and start learning how to do their job would be the intrinsic core stabilizers. So anytime you have any faulty movement in the spine, you know that the deep intrinsic core stabilizers are not doing their job. And when I was talking to my clients, I'd always say, these are the muscles that you don't know the names of. Like people might know their obliques and they might know their rectus abdominis, but when we talk about the transverse abdominus, the deep lumbar multifidus, they don't know those names. So these are the muscles that we know. Wait, Uh, you mean people don't know the multifidus? I mean, come on. I've yet to have someone come in and say, Marty, can you show me a multifidus exercise? I mean, it could happen. It it could, but it has not happened yet. That would Uh, be me. (laughs) Yes. that That would be you. But you, yes, you have not been my client yet, but yet. But then also with the anterior tilt, that hip flexor complex is pulling us forward. The hamstrings are allowing it if they can be activated, they can counteract. They don't want, you don't want them to be overactive, just like you don't want the hip flexors. There's that symmetry that you're looking for between the anterior and posterior part of the, the body. So hip flexors are overactive. That, in turn, makes the hamstring complex lengthened and weakened. So they need to be strengthened, not stretched. We've talked about that before. And then, the, just like everything, Wendy and I are still waiting for – it's like Bigfoot. We have not seen it ever an overactive glute max, it's always going to be underactive.
1: Always is a strong
0: word, Marty. <laughs> I've been doing this since the early 2000s, as you said, and I've yet, I said yet, I didn't you say You know, that there's
1: yet. that one person out there. I don't I'm know what where they are.
0: are I'm waiting but. for it. but you know what? We'll take a little side note. I've had this conversation with people. People, now that everyone's doing booty workouts, they confuse muscular development with overactivity. I'm like, no. They could be incredibly strong, but in proportion to their hip flexors, there still may be a ratio of their hip flexors or overactive. So I've seen people that have really done targeted glute training for cosmetics, and they still have an anterior tilt. So what they've done is they've kept the ratio of overactivity, and they just moved it up the spectrum. So yeah, they've developed glute muscles, and it looks, you would assume, but in comparison, in a ratio to the anterior part of their body, they still have an anterior tilt. So I'll just well throw that said. out there, throw that out there before we get, well, what and about when that?
1: we say an anterior tilt guys, remember that's a low back arch. So that's well, right. you know, we, Marty and I use those kind of interchangeably because it is an anterior pelvic tilt, which will okay. be a low back arch. So just for clarification, I wanted to make note of that, but uh, you know, that kind of brings us to an example, you know, Marty and I often get a lot of emails, which again, we really appreciate the, the feedback. We'd like to know what you are excited about and we also love to hear from you guys of what would be helpful. And so, you know, I worked with Marty and pulled up some exercise uh, workouts that I actually have done with my clients. And I know Marty has done these same type of exercises that with, you know, with a client that has a low back arch. And, and again, those of you guys joining Marty and I today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, This is what we're talking about. The low back arch, we're talking about proper assessments. You're going to talk about, you know, way to do some, not only movement assessments, but mobility assessments. And now let's put it all together because we just talked about the overactivity. We're talking about the underactivity just as an important note. Remember, if you do the mobility and they showed compensation in the overhead squat, but they could do it without compensating, meaning they passed the mobility, then, you know, it's a weakness. More so than the overactivity. If they failed the mobility, then you know it's because of a range of motion restriction that's usually more overactivity based. And so those results will kind of tell you which way to lean either way. So in the very beginning, again, we're just assuming that they had more big fat fails. Okay. And so we would focus on, and and we're also trying to keep this within an hour. So how can we do this in an hour? I get that all the time following that, you know, two, you know, four, two, one tempo and, you know, doing two sets of things at a 12 to 20 rep, there's no way it can be done. Well, I'm going to say, yes, it can. We see it all the time. I do it every, every day. And, you know, it's just you're going to have to choose certain things to roll certain things to stretch maybe before your workout or after your workout or give them homework because you can't do it all and they have to have accountability so, just I'll talk about warm up, Marty, and I'll hand over activation to you. But you right. want to think about foam rolling. So, self myofascial technique, we're t- trying to down regulate the erectors and the lats. We would go into static stretching because remember, we're showing that there's a lack of range of motion. So, we're trying to restore proper length back into that, that, that area. So, we would focus on the hip flexors, the lats, and the erectors there as well. And at, where did we get this? From that solutions table under overactive. We just chose those muscles and and put them here. We're holding that 20 to 30 seconds. So we try to get better range. And then if we see that we have better range of motion, we would go into more dynamic stretches, which as a, as a definition, going to the full available range of motion without compensation. So we can try to do some walking lunges with rotation to kind of integrate everything together to see just on a, just stretching, where are we at?
0: Fabulous. I'm going to do that tomorrow. And then the activation. Now we want to get the other side of the body warmed up. We want to get the muscles that are been maybe a little dormant awake for the rest of the body of the workout. So of course, if you see any of uh, our programming, you're going to see bridges, some type. So floor bridge, as I activate my glutes with the neutral spine, as I come up into hip extension, that has to get the hip flexor complex to temporarily relax, but I'm also strengthening. Cause we remember we talked about mo- the mobility assessments. So it's getting the glutes to learn how to fire why I drive into hip extension. So it's a great way to prep the body for what's coming next. And again, it's going to be that controlled four, two, one tempo, then bird dogs, the opposite arm, opposite leg. So that way you're getting, you know, you're getting a lot of different things. You're getting a lot with the shoulder, which we talked about that a couple master instructor round tables ago, triple extension, But you're also fighting gravity. Gravity is pushing your pelvis down, which would be that anterior tilt, low back arch. So you have to be able to maintain neutral as you move the opposite limb. So it's a great way to again get those deep intrinsic core stabilizers fired up. And then a single leg balance with reach. So now we implement you. You know, in a standing position, get the foot connected with the ground, get that nice neutral position of the foot and ankle in the arch, and then now we're starting to move the limb there's a lot of different ways you can progress this. But once again, that's getting that uh, core and glute to hold yourself in a neutral position while you're reaching with the leg that's in the air. So great way to get people ready to move for the rest of the workout.
1: Yes. And then when we go and look at skill development, again, this can be any kind of plyometric exercise, something that's dynamic, um, but we're really focusing on the landing because again, think about when you land. If you want to land, um, beh- you know, on the reactive portion of your foot, that's going to help as you progress into the workout to leave the ground quicker. And then it's also going to make sure that you, when you're in the air, that you're again focusing on drawing in your, you know, squeezing your core, working your core, squeezing your glutes in midair, going into triple extension, then going into triple flexion correctly you know, fixing anything on that three to five second hold and then doing it over and over. So we're reprogramming our brain on really good movement patterns. Plus this is a weight loss client. And if we know that they, they do not have any issues that we found out in the subjective or, you know, information, there was nothing of high concern when we were doing the the assessments that would say that they, they shouldn't be able to jump at this time. We can go ahead and start putting this in because it's going to be something that we're going to be able to do. From day one, even, you know, people are scared. You can do it on day one. If someone's already running and jumping and moving, just let's start working on those patterns quicker. And then, you know, and then after that, when we're looking at resistance training, this is a phase one workout. So we want to be using things that are, you know, unstable, but yet that they can control. So without compensation, always making sure that they're going down into a very slow tempo working on the eccentric contraction. That's why it's the four written first holding for two seconds and then coming up for the concentric. And then if you want to do the four, you can, you know, like the, you know, four, two, one, zero, you can always add that in as well, or four, two, two, one, whatever tempo best suits them, but really focus on the eccentric portion. And these are all going to be ones that are going to help your client with the arms falling forward. And so think about working the intrinsic core stabilizer still when they're on the ball, when they're doing the chest press, maybe adding the, pu- the push because oftentimes it's due to weak, um, you know, shoulder stabilizers and adding that push can work the, the, um, and, or the, uh, serratus anterior, which is going to help. And then immediately going into a single leg squat to row. So again, think about opposite arm, opposite leg. We move that way. We walk that way, the cobras for mid to lower trap, and then the step up to balance, again, trying to get the quad and glute to work together in the step up fully extending the spine, creating good alignment, and then slowly coming out of that to make sure everything's working together in harmony. And then heaven forbid, we don't throw in with the client lows, which is the gun show. So then a single leg bicep curl.
0: Without a doubt. Uh, this was my workout, right? <laughs> exactly. And then um, when he might be muted. So Yes, that was my workout. So with the cool down, we're still going to use the self-myofascial techniques. The muscles that were overactive at the tar- the beginning that we target, use the uh, same technique in this phase to cool them down. Hit the erectors, the lats, same points. Hold tender uh, areas for 30 seconds, and then you'll see the static stretches listed, same ones that we had in the warm up. So things like your hip flexors, your lats, pecs, things like that, that would cause uh, anything to be overactive or anything that you targeted that you want to make sure you reset. And then the coaching tips, the key point here is perform this in a vertical load. So that way you're going from exercise to exercise. So this can create a, a metabolic demand, which is great, depending how much rest you give in between. And then without a doubt, we always have to maintain our five kinetic chain checkpoints because that is ensuring that you're using these exercises to fix people's movements. So no compensations, or you're just letting things kind of go right back to where they were uh, faulty to begin with. So great work out there, Wendy.
1: That's why I muted myself because I thought you could roll that into it all together.
0: (laughs) Actually, actually, I got the button. I muted her. That's on me.
1: Uh, There you go. See, you know, teamwork. Teamwork. Well, let's actually talk about like our key takeaways. So I think mainly, you know, you really want to focus on that solutions table because multiple muscles will make up and control what's happening at the lumbopelvic hip complex. Remember if your hips are not in neutral, that if, if, if you have any anterior rotation and your hips go forward, then that low back arch um, is going to occur if the arms fall forward and you're trying to get them to bring their arms up and the lats are overactive, that can also enhance low back or create a low back arch. So we need to identify the compensations and try to then at that point determine through the assessments what's causing things, what's allowing things. And even if you see something on any of the mobility assessments or any of the um, overhead squat assessment, single leg squat or split squat, whatever it may be, You wanna note it, even if it's minimal. And then at that point, you're going to kind of look at everything together when you've got it all out in front and decide, okay, you know what? The common denominator here is this, this, and this. And if I look at my solutions table, these muscles are identified in multiple compensations that I'm noticing here. And then when I looked at, if I did the mobility, then you know what? I noticed that this didn't happen. So let's look at the underactive muscles. Look at that solutions table because it will help you and tell you so many things. And then as Marty and I said in the very beginning, try to reassess your clients, put it down. When is that four to six weeks up? Because they may not start on June, you know, like um, June 1st, you know, they may end up starting in the middle of like a week. And so you want to make sure about four to six weeks later that, you know, you've done a really good program. They've shown up, they've seen like they're ready to, um, to go through just another quick assessment and, and, and then you can show them this is where you started and this is where you are and it makes a huge difference. And then they want to keep on working with you because you're helping them. You're helping them along.
0: Without a doubt. And again, you'll make it fun, but just understand movement compensations, your programming and reassessments. Those are your key kind of principles that you're going to just make all your decisions based off of.
1: Indeed. Well, Marty, this has been fun. And hopefully everyone that joined us today learned way more about the low back arch than they ever thought they would. Um, but if you have any questions, you have any concerns, or there's a topic that you want Marty and I to cover, of course, you can reach out to me or Marty, but you can find me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or on Instagram at wendy.bats13.
0: And my information will pop up here in a second. So my Instagram is dr.martymiller72. And then email is Marty dot miller at NASM.org. so wendy great topic again thanks for uh as always bringing the knowledge and thanks for all of you that attended and we look forward to seeing you next week on the master Tructor roundtable